0: Welcome back to another episode of Teacher Talk, a podcast where two young black female teachers discuss all things education. Today we're joined by Sarah. Sarah previously taught English at a secondary school in Cambridgeshire, and she was head of year 12. Her passion for education and democratizing access to entry-level careers led her to White Hat, where she now works as a business coach. In her current role, she coaches a caseload of 35 apprentices and is responsible for supporting their professional and personal development, as well as helping them to gain a level three business qualification. Sarah, thank you for coming on to Teacher Talk podcast today. Very excited for you to be here and discuss and share your experience with us and our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. How I found, um, so so Sarah's written an amazing article that I will um, publish on our Instagram and I'll send it out to our listeners. Um, So I was on Twitter, as you do, having a scroll, and I saw um, an article that was written by Sarah about how the education system failed her As a student, but also as a teacher. So, we're going to discuss that. And what we want to do is just kind of share an insight into Sarah's experience. And again, just to make it clear to our listeners, this is just one person's experience. So, we want you to make sure that you're listening and respecting, but also remembering that one person's experience doesn't reflect everyone's experience. So, I just wanted to make that clear as we discuss this um, today. So, Sarah, shall we? Talk about kind of in your article, you speak about how um, the education system kind of failed failed you as a student. And even like kind of incidences where teachers did not intervene when you'd have like you or kind of other students who were getting bullied because of their African surnames. Um, why do you think teachers didn't intervene when those issues again I would say like with the whole thing about the surnames that's a black Mm -hmm. issue I would class it as Mm -hmm. why do you think teachers get involved
1: do you know I was I was reflecting on this um after I wrote my article because I wrote it as a way to kind of get out my feelings right Mm -hmm. it was very much a selfish thing initially because I think everything was happening and I, I needed I needed a way to process. And for me, I'm a very reflective person. I process by reading or by writing. So I thought, OK, I'm going to write down how I feel. Then I had hundreds of people. Like, I'm not even exaggerating, messaging me, teachers, like people in education, um, to be like, oh, my God, I resonate with this so much. And it just when you reflect on those experiences. And, and to your question, I think, having been a teacher and seeing all the training we get about, like, yeah. safeguarding yeah. and DMI and stuff. I just don't know how pertinent that was 20 years ago.
0: Mm. See, I'm
1: 25 now, so when I think about like primary school, it would have been like yeah, about 20, 18 years ago. Yeah. And I just think it wasn't it wasn't something that was at the forefront at that time. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't even have, for example, as a teacher, you have preventive training, right, to yeah. stop children getting radicalised. And if they if a child says something outwardly racist, nowadays they'd probably get excluded. Um, be that for a few days or permanently depend on, on the extent to what they said and police would go to their house to check if they're being radicalised whereas I just don't think it was as person at the time yeah. so I think it probably was something that was classed as like oh just kids messing around mm. so I just think the magnitude of it or the impact it had on children just wasn't recognised and I think that's why teachers didn't intervene.
0: Yeah and I think even because I remember when I was at school so we were like similar ages and it was that whole thing of um, taunting of surnames and it was seen as just classroom banter oh you know your Blick or your this yeah. or mocking your surname it was seen as classroom banter and I think maybe even when we look back and reflect as um, young black adults we realise actually that's really problematic way mm-hmm. to speak to each other and realising actually things like that um, that that behaviour is racist and I think even me as a teacher now if I hear comments like that as a teacher I always make sure that I will um, speak to those students and explain to them and hold them accountable and say actually what you said there is problematic because yeah. of this and I think yeah, absolutely I would like to think teaching and the mindset of teachers has evolved from yeah this time now I'd hope
1: I think I think it has but I think also it's like I think it's dangerous for us to have the assumption that people aren't um you know don't have or are ignorant to racism because racism is complex and I think in this country in particular we see racism as like oh you know, lynching someone for the from a tree, calling on the M-word, right? But we don't necessarily get into nitty-gritty and everyday racism I like to call it. So the microaggressions mm. that we've become desensitized to. So I remember even when a student made monkey noises at me and I was I was telling another teacher, they were like initially, Oh my god, they're just being silly. And I'm thinking, No, they're not. <laughs> they're being racist. So it's like it's like the understanding of what racism is and yeah. the nuances and the complexities that there's a lack of understanding and therefore to what extent teachers intervene when they don't actually quite identify themselves that this is something that's racist yeah I think I do think we've moved forward but I just think there is still some kind of ignorance or miseducation around what racism is Mm. and for you know the expectation that teachers should intervene is like it's somewhat redundant if they they don't actually know what what it is
0: well this yeah this is it I think it's the whole thing of taking ourselves from out of being a teacher and just a general human being and taking time to kind of educate ourselves on what racism is. Like you said, with the microaggressions, I only realized what microaggressions were. I think even after uni, like these are like in my only kind of like my, going into my mid twenties, I realized what microaggressions were. And I realized, Oh wow, people have been throwing these to me my whole life. So then it's the whole thing of, I think it's so complex, like you said, isn't it? There's so much to be done, but it does start off with us kind of having access um, to these resources that can educate us, and then thinking about how we can then use that into our classroom, and whether it's, like you said, kind of knowing how to tackle that, and hearing, you know, if it is a microaggression that we hear that's directed at a student, or even that even to us as a member of staff kind of giving us the tools to kind of tackle that because it's, it's really difficult because even for me, I've kind of been taking myself away and doing some learning because even with racism, even I used to kind of have this, I was discussing it with one of my friends recently where we had our, our own stereotype in our head of what a racist looks like it's like you know oh someone who doesn't want to sit next to you on the bus because you're black you know whereas actually it's so much more complex it is that kind of um the gaslighting of oh you know what you said when the students were making monkey noises to you oh no that's they're just being silly that wasn't real and taking it back and it for me it's taken a lot of time to process a lot of things that i've heard Um, that have been directed towards me or other people and taking time out to realise that that was racist and it's I think it's really difficult and I think we've all we're we're human beings we should be self-evolving and reflecting so I think it's trying to embed that reflection of what is going on around us and what the language people use around us and the language that we use as well like were at one point you know like even for me it's kind of weird at school and it kind of led on to uni the kind of African versus Caribbean debate and that was kind of happening a lot in secondary school I remember like some children who black children I went to school with who were African they kind of didn't want to share that part of their identity but whereas the students that I've taught over the time I've been teaching have been really they've all been really proud of their African identity and rightly so so I think maybe we're kind of moving on I'd like to say we've evolved a bit from that but there's there's a lot to it isn't there
1: yeah absolutely I think to your point now I think we have evolved and I think a lot of it largely is to do with the shift in society and um, also I think the power of social media and how it's kind of helped evolve globalization you know children are able to go online now and they see people who look like them right and and I think um kind of to your point earlier and in my talk about you know being called Oreo and Bounty but that's because blackness was seen as one-dimensional exactly and I was a well-spoken so as a black person at the time it was very much like well you're not from end you're not black enough yeah Whereas now we see black people, and we see the nuances of our identity. We see black people who are well spoken. Black people who are from ends, quote unquote. You know, black people from ends who work in the city. Black people, yeah. you know, are in the music in in this you know, sporting industry, entertainment industry, law, finance, tech, everything. Like we're starting to see kind of um, black people being visible in cross sections of society. So now a black child is seen as who they are, as opposed to fitting into kind of this really snug, one-dimensional view of what a black person should be.
0: This is it, because blackness is, there's a wide spectrum of it, and it's like you said, you can be um, black and be in tech, you can be black and be a teacher, you can be black and be a swimmer, an athlete. And, you know, I think our gen. this is why I love our generation, because we kind of are creating these spaces for mm. it to happen, whereas I feel like uh, parents' generation, generations before, because they were so appreciative of being in this country that they didn't want to take up space, they kind of put themselves in a box at the expense of everyone else, At well, at the expense of themselves, just to make everyone else feel comfortable, whereas us, we're who we are, whether it makes people feel uncomfortable or not, and we are break, breaking down barriers, and I think that's really, really important. I think social media, um especially like even for me and the people that I choose to follow on social media, they're people who I'm really inspired by, and people who I'm like making sure that I'm like learning from because I want my time on social media to be productive and enjoyable, but also where I'm following people that are inspirational, and it's just. For me, it's realizing that yes, I'm a black woman, but there's so many different layers to me and my identity. So yeah, I thought what you just said just now was it's really it's um, really important. I wanted to also ask you about um, in your article, so you spoke about an incident with a PE teacher. So you went to um, private school at some point as well. Um, then you went back to um, state education and when you had an incident with some students the teacher instead of kind of like resolving the situation they provoked the situation by asking you to spell um, discombobulated so how how did you even feel in that situation
1: it was crazy because when I look at it in hindsight, and I kind of spoke about this in my article, that how I think him saying that word was actually a reflection of how he felt, you know, confused and just not having met a black student like me before, right? Which was crazy because the school was predominantly black. And I think at the time, I wasn't able to articulate how I felt, right? I always felt this sense of like, why why do I feel like these, in, okay, in private school, even though I was like one of the very few black students, it was very much a meritocracy. I went to a prep school. So it was like from age three to 13. And um, in the prep school, you were praised based on your contribution. So I was head of head of house. It's like very much like, you know how Harry Potter you've got the houses. Yeah. And the houses. I was head of house, head of school council. Like, you know, I got loads of the academic awards. So it was very much like, I felt respected and valued for what I brought to the table. And I, I mentioned in my old school, had I stayed in, on in private school education, I don't know that I would have felt like that because I yeah. have a lot of friends who went to senior school and it was very different because kids become racist at that point. That's a learn and um, uh, learn the racist behaviors of their parents of people, yeah. and people in their family and you know what have you. But to your point there, this PE teacher, I was in year nine and I remember when he said this to me, I just felt it. Cause I thought it was a test of my intelligence and I was like, up for the challenge. Yeah. I'll spell it. But looking back, I'm like, wait, hold on. I was being taunted at that point. I remember I was with a group of guys and they were just like, oh, you think you're better than I, you think you're so posh. Why do you sound like that? Aren't you from Pembury? Oh, God. And you know, the teacher's walking over and I'm thinking he's coming to be like, ladies, you know, put down. But no, he's like, oh, spell just convoluted." And I'm just thinking, at the time, I just went through it. But looking back, I'm just like it's moments moment like that where teachers for our students and I get it oh. you know having been a teacher before I hate that narrative that people blame teachers for everything is like, our oh, teachers should do this teachers should do that da, 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 yeah. da. but ultimately you know a teacher's role besides teaching the student, is to support children exactly. and I'm not saying I was like hugely at risk in that situation but in that moment I needed somebody to be my ally and he wasn't that everything. he perpetuated the situation and therefore was saying it was validating this, this behavior towards me and I might be reading into it but I think at the time that was just what it was if he had said actually ladies cut down not good enough you know we shouldn't be speaking to somebody like that then I think they would have thought okay actually I shouldn't be doing that even if they continue that's on them but in that moment as a te- like me being a teacher and having encountered those situations where students would say things are inappropriate to other students I'm like no yeah we're not doing this this is wrong because like, what's the call to action? What are you going to do as a result of this behavior that you've exhibited to this student, right? But he didn't. So at the time I just felt like, I don't know, pretty, like, pretty rubbish about myself. Cause I was just like, even the teacher thinks I'm this, like sweat or boffin, as they used to call me. Yeah, like, oh God. You know, this that nerd, was... do you know what I mean? So I like, even the teacher thinks I'm uncool and not black enough. And yeah, I think that was just quite, um, quite painful, I would mm. say.
0: It's, it's, you know, even that point that you said about if your friends were to have stayed at, um, if you were to have stayed in the private sector and how, like, your friends had experienced some um, behavior, well, racism, basically, but I was um, actually having a conversation with some of the teachers that I've worked with, and we were talking about, you know, the curriculum and kind of shaping young people's minds to be anti-racist and to be allies and we were saying you actually have to get them from like primary school year seven year eight because that well by year nine that part of their identity is formed and then it is like you said where they kind of get their um, racist behaviors and attitudes from Mm -hmm. the adults that are in their lives and I think that's why teachers we do play part quite an essential part in young people's lives and shaping their uh, mindset. It's really important. And it's like you said, for me, when I've heard some um, comments that other students direct at each other, I straight away, I've always tackled that. Like you said, you know, don't say that this is offensive because X, Y, Z, and we need to keep doing that. So then after that, they're not gonna do it. Cause I remember I had a student Um, spoke about this in our previous podcast where um, she a young mixed race student was um, being derogatory towards another black girl about her hair and I said you know I said it's really unacceptable and inappropriate for um, black girls to tear down to tear down each other because society does that to us already so it's important that we Um, are united and straight away she apologized to that student because sometimes they don't even they're so set in their behaviors that they don't even realize that they're wrong enough it's like with us as adults we um what what is um important that is if we do get corrected but we allow ourselves to be corrected and take that feedback on board to realize okay right I realize what I've done here is wrong and I shouldn't do it again I think if you know if you had had like you said just that teacher being an ally you just need that support don't you as well it's just because at the end of the day it's um I just for me I genuinely don't get it because as a teacher we are there to make students feel safe and comfortable and the minute they're not feeling safe the minute they're feeling uncomfortable we need to make sure that we can correct those and you know if I was in that situation as a teacher maybe it's just because me and my values we'd like to hope because that was a long time ago that those attitudes were improved but like something like that it's almost like he kind of used his insecurity but also his perception of black people was like yeah why why who do you think you are like because it the perception of blackness was to be getter or to not speak properly to not be articulate so to be faced with a young child a young black child who is articulate who has been privately educated it's like wait how because that's people are not used I still feel like now sometimes people are not used to seeing that
1: yeah absolutely and you know in I run a um well i run a few seminars now at work on like race at work and you know what to say what not to say and one of the things we speak about is kind of what you were alluding to about intent versus impact Mm. it's you know at the end of the day we can't allow ourselves to be held captive by fear of saying the wrong things our times will fall short and we don't quite understand right and we will say the wrong thing but it's what you do in that moment that's most important so you know even if your intentions were right and we often use it i often use the analogy about hair right even though your intention was right you just a commitment my is not your place to touch me mm. and therefore the impact you had on me is what you should be taking um holding yourself accountable for not the intent but the impact you made me feel uncomfortable you violated my personal space apologize and move forward and then in your own personal time do your self-education and learning and understand why that was problematic so i just think it's that yeah that classic thing of you know our intentions versus the impact we might have had good intentions but if our impact was negative are we holding ourselves accountable and what are we doing to move forward this
0: is it this is it it's so important it's it's like we said it is kind of doing that self-reflection um to allow yourself to take time to be able to be held accountable because some people they will just see it i think person to person some people might just see them being told something that they've already done that's part of their identity that they need to correct they might um see it as an attack. I also wanted to go on to though, just um, a point where you mentioned where um, when you went throughout your time, like in state school, you were called um, names um, Bounty or Oreo or Boffin. And I'm assuming that was by, because you went to a predominantly black school, didn't mm. you? Yeah. How did the black community kind of fail you in that aspect?
1: I think that's a really good question. I think often I hate this whole, like, I don't know, I feel a bit uncomfortable sort of placing blame in the black black community because I, it's not to say that, you know, we aren't often times perpetuating um, racism and and racist tropes, but I think within the black community, rightly or wrongly so, I often give black people a pass because I'm like, Actually, due to years of colonialism and slavery, right. actually, mentally and we're going through a process of, of, of not just unlearning, but sort of like self-love, and a lot of it is rooted in self-hatred, right? You yeah. look at something and you think, how can you be black and be, you know, excellent, right? How can you, your piece of whiteness, afford you advantages that I don't have, right? And it kind of roots in self-hatred. So, you know, I don't look back at those students and like dislike them or have any strong feelings about them. It's almost like I feel kind of sad that a lot of them had so much self-hatred that they looked at me and rather than seeing me and they sort to gas myself as somebody you know that they could like learn from or aspire to or someone who's a friend and they're equal they saw me as less than or um uh, just different or you know they and another thing that I was sad about is that they attached my um you know brightness or smartness with being white yeah, And that pissed me off, quite frankly, because I'm like, why is it that as black and black young children, we didn't associate positive things with blackness? And that is the thing that was, I think, harder for me, like looking back as an adult, I was like, why is it that they saw me being articulate as something that was white, as a white thing, as yeah. opposed to actually, it's just a people thing. And it's just that anybody can be articulate. It's just that anybody can be ambitious. Right, and it was like, unless I played school, did music, that would make sense, right? But I wasn't. I mean, I did, I did do music, but like, it, you know, I was just a normal kid. Like, he was to like yeah. right school, and yeah, I think yeah, more than anything, it just made me a bit sad at the time. I just desperately wanted to film. So I remember my brother's jokes about it now. I had like, there was a girl on my estate who, um, basically like took me under her wing, and in the night it was really bad, like. I went from being really popular in school to joining this school and like actually being bullied. And it was weird because I was like really popular on one hand, but also got bullied. And oh, I actually wow. left my school like halfway through. Oh, my I God. left for a term. Um, yeah, my dad took me up for a term because these girls like tried to like, beat me up after school. It was all very dramatic, but went oh, to another school for a term. And I was living in Hattie at my mum's house. My dad lived in Barking and I went to stay with my dad for a, a term and went to school. But then it got to a point where my mum was like, you can't going from Hackney to Barking every day to school, so you're going back to your old school. And I was like, no. Oh, no. So every summer, this, this older in my estate basically, like, helped kind of make me, like, black, if you like, oh, and, like, just helped me kind of develop my street smart and, and things like that. And it was like, I mean, I look back and I laugh at it, but it was important because for me it was about survival. This is it. And... And I was just like, I just need to survive school. I need to go back to school and I need to be fine. And I was, I was fine after that. Year 10, year 11 was fine. You know, I got on because I just, I learned to be more street smart, but I just had that battle with my identity. You know, I felt like I had to be more black to fit in. Mm. And that's what I would do. Like, slick my hair and like, have like little swirls at the front and I'd have oh, like a curly weave and brush it out. And I think so I was thinking, that is not me. <laughs> that's think not who I am. We all
0: go through that. I think we all went through that phase cause it's like it's so weird how you know what you were saying about that self-love. And I think as a community, we're like we're trying to be on that self-love journey and realising because it's what we've seen. So we always talk about representation and how um other pe other communities um see us, but I think we also forget about with the representation how we then see ourselves. So when we do look on TV and we look at the media, there is only kind of that one um, small narrative about us as black people. And it usually is negative. And that's why I really like shows like Insecure, like yeah. Blackish, and, you know, like I May Destroy You, where they're showing none of those characters in those shows that I've just met, none of them are all the same. The only thing they'll, they have in common is, yes, they're black, but that's it. And it's showing that there's so many different dimensions to who we are. We're complex people. We're not just one. We don't just fit into one box. There's so many different types. And even when I look at some of the kids that um, I've taught over the years, um, they're all so different. Like they're all in their own little groups. So i have got, you know, the drama kids, the kids that, like music or the kids that are into science or you know all these different personalities and it's trying to now keep pushing that you know yes we're black but there's not just one form of um blackness blackness is complex yeah. you know it's diverse yeah. even yeah. in that sense isn't it yeah i agree
1: with you. and i think it's that idea of like normalizing I, like, I absolutely love social media right because you know i would see it, because I, I knew the things that i were interested in like i'd like i like going on walks i like going hiking i like reading books i like going to brunch and it's like you, you know often when i was y- younger and uni and i want to do those things like people would joke about it, but i'll oh, say so white whereas now it's so normal for for you know for black girls to brunch and, and black girls to go on, on holidays and go hiking and have book clubs and you know all these things that we wanted to do because that's our like you know, those are our hobbies, but now it's been more normalised, and I think that's such a positive thing.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you because it's like we're quite similar. Because, like for me, I love like walking and like going for brunch, and I really love travelling. But when I I, when I first started like going travelling, because one thing I always wanted to do when I did my NQT is like I'm going to save, and I want to make sure that every holiday that we have I can like go and travel cuz I really wanted to go and see Southeast Asia and I and for me I do backpacking so I've got my big North Face backpack and it was only when I found um the wind collective and then the black girls like there's those like black girl travel um groups on social media so I went to one of the meetups by myself and it was just amazing to see so many other girls who happened to be black but really liked um traveling i think that's why for me i have so many different types of friends because there's so many different things that i love doing like i love going to the theater i love going for brunch but i also you know i like my self-care sundays and there's we're there's just a whole range and it's it is it's getting more normalized right now like that because i remember before because i i grown up doing classical music and that it was the thing of, oh, my God, that's so white. Or, you know, even like with the way I speak, oh, my God, why do you speak like that? And it's now becoming a bit more normalised that you can see a black, you know, I think there's that, I can't remember their name, the um black family who are all classical musicians. I can't remember what their names are, but they were on BBC recently. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, let's put this on the BBC so that, Everyone can see this and I don't want it to be a thing of oh yeah, they're black. It's a thing of, yeah, like this is a family that play classical music and
1: yeah, rightly so. Yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. I think normalizing these things is part of kind of that that journey moving forward and, and people feel um included and like you know, just yeah, really celebrating the nuances in our identity as black people. There are certain things that all black people we have in common and that's just our blackness, right? But, you know, we all have different personality types. Not every black woman is an extrovert, right? Exactly. Every black woman is sassy. And I think it's, it's about normalising the fact that, yeah, we do have some black women who are introverted and, you know, don't like confrontation and aren't, you know, the loudest person in the room. And just kind of normalising, like you said, all the different identities within that culture.
0: Exactly. Um, I wanted to move on to, so you went on to be a teacher, after, um, you know, was it straight after university
1: you went into? Yeah, straight after. So I did teach first, like as soon as I graduated.
0: How did you find teach first? Because I did a PGCE, so it was still like your teaching, but then you've got like your mentor, almost like right next to you in your lessons, holding your hands. And then the Friday, it was really like university. Safe space where it's kind of always I did kind of see it as a day off just mentally. But how was oh, um teach first?
1: It, I mean, it was great. It was very intense because, like for me, I went into teaching. I I did teach first, not because I wanted to be a teacher, which sounds really silly, but it's like deeply passionate about access and education. Right, having with my educational experience and and. You know feeling like why is it that people who don't have as much money don't have access to the best education mm-hmm. right and i came across to you first when i was investing and I thought, actually i really feel quite aligned with their vision and their mission so i'm gonna go ahead and do it it's two years it's reputable it'll be great fun i love english let's go
0: for um, it
1: right and then I was placed in a school in Cambridge in a little town that I'd never heard of in my life. It was predominantly white town, white British. Um, and um, it, was, it was hard, right? Because teach worse is very intense. You, from day one, you're teaching full, like full lessons. And you're studying simultaneously. So I was battling that, which is hard enough. Then on top of that, racism, not just from like... With the students, they weren't even as bad. It was teachers that were worse and like parents. And one parent said to me, you've been out in the sun long, haven't you? Oh, God. Yeah, he was like, he's like, where are you from? And I was like, London. He's like, how on earth did you get here? You did not get on a boat like the rest of them. Oh. And I said, like, in those moments, you know, you always say to yourself, if anyone was ever racist to me, I'd say this and I'd say that. But now you get numb. Right, it happens to you and you feel numb because you're like, oh, my God, did that just happen? Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So, yeah, it was difficult. And I don't think I quite understood the magnitude of those experiences or, or the impact it had on me in when I was doing it, I was just in the most right? sense and I I loved being in the classroom and I loved the process of, you know, when like students get something, their eyes light up and they yeah. and they have that passion. They're reading Shakespeare, and they're, guests, they're like Miss me, 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 and I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that passion for like learning and empowering yeah. you know, children, even children who are bottoms at year ten, to feel like they can analyze, you know teach them about, you know, I would, like, get Machiavelli in there, like, Mm. (laughs) and stuff like that. So they're bottoms it and they're, like, "Yeah, me that Machia guy and, you know, stuff like that. So I was passionate about the the education piece and that is what kind of sustained me, I would say, throughout. But I knew once my two years were done, I was going to be done.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's – the thing is, it's, um, the like, that one year – in itself of the training is so intense I think whatever you do whatever form of going into teaching you do it is so intense so sometimes thing you don't even have time to process it because you're literally trying to get through the day get all your essays done and get all the teaching done and then take on feedback and make sure that your other lessons are improved and do your lesson plans so a lot of the things that you get told you're not even listening to, because I remember when I was doing, I did my PGCs outside of London as well in Brighton. And I remember, cause I used to have braids and I then had a um, war weave um, at one point, And I was told that I looked smarter with like how I looked like, cause my hair and I was thinking like, so my hair's straight and I was like, wow. So, and then you have, to, the things you don't even have time to because these comments happen so quick and in yeah. passing you're not even processing it so you're just like wait okay now I realise that it was um problematic and it's like you said as well sometimes the comments are not even so- coming from the students it's coming from teachers and parents where if it was children you know you can like rep them on you can put them in detention or you yeah. can you know discipline them and and actually educate them whereas with parents and teachers they've gone so many years in their life just getting through and saying these comments that like then why would they change but it's it's so hard uh,
1: and also exhausting it's more it's easier to I think address racism amongst students because you have that dialogue and they're teachable and they're like they're moldable Whereas when it comes to adults and talking to adults about race, and it's not to suggest that adults can't unlearn these things, but adults automatically will come on the defence. And it's is. very much like, oh, you're attacking me, or I'm not racist, because the view of racism is very extreme. Exactly. And I at my school, that calling somebody racist was like the biggest insult ever. Mm-hmm. And, it's like, and it's like, no, actually, but, but you, you are exhibiting racist behaviour right now. And I think, yeah, with students, i had a student say to me go to africa and like when i was telling him off and i i remember following that into at that point i'd built a, a thick skin yeah. and i knew i was moving back to London and i really secured my role so i was very much like okay what is my legacy going to be when i leave this school so in that moment and one thing that i nailed over these years is tax and diplomacy and i have to tell you about yourself without telling you about yourself yes so i wrote a letters to the head teacher and I copied the head of behavior in it and he's head of year and I I said what the incident had I made it very factual not like ridden with emotion and I was like I would like this tackled with a three-pronged approach firstly I want to know what sanction he's going to get secondly I want to have an intervention conversation a restorative conversation before Mm. he comes back in my classroom because I'm not teaching that boy until we have that conversation of course and then thirdly I want to understand Understand what, what is the protocol when teachers experience racial abuse? Like what what's the process? And I remember like screenshotting that and putting it on Twitter, and most of people were messaging, and they were like, "Oh my God, good on you!" Did not And I just thought to myself, "If not me, then who?" Exactly. We don't kind of stand up on these things, and it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be um defensive. It's very much like I just did it. If it was anything else, like if a student, you know, sexually made like like a sexual comment at me or, you know, you know, we would action it in the same way. So it's looking at racism and seeing it as as important enough to address and not feeling afraid to talk about these issues. And we can be pragmatic. I went on to teach that boy after that. I mean, he got excluded, but that was something else, permanently. But I went on to teaching him because I had a conversation with him and I said, do you understand why I told you to leave the classroom? Mm. Uh, You know, do you understand what was, what was bad about what you said? And that really having that, conversation yeah and he was like i'm sorry and i was like fine let's get back in the classroom and it's like i need to let go of that as well and not right. treat him differently the next lesson because in my head i was thinking Ooh. but like you know i had to kind of deal with him with compassion and think he wasn't born racist this is a bad behavior well, this so is if, if he's if he's if he's able to apologize sincerely i can move forward and my job is to to ensure his educational success and I was able to do that so it's that of like holding people into account but also having it in you to forgive and move on as well I think is really really important
0: yeah it's it's like you said though as well because I've had some times where rightfully so I have had to um stand up for myself and just to make sure not that it not only happens to me not happens to me again but to also make sure it doesn't then happen to someone else because when people, you know, with certain behaviors, and I think it's especially there is that culture in teaching where, um, not necessarily a bullying culture, where it's, where it's a culture of fear and thinking that you can just say whatever you want to people and treat people whatever way and it not get challenged. And I think what's important to now move forward is to um, have those, you know, whether it's via email or, you know, whether you're, I like really know what you said, where how you um, asked about what um the what's it called the what's it called again the consequence yeah would be for that student like you know things like yeah. that it's actually thinking okay so this student has done has made a racist remark you know even in regards to that the behavior it's bad behavior and if we're you know trying to stamp out bad behavior in schools it's you know yeah what is what consequence really have i think you know rightfully so and it's making sure people realize that you can stand up for yourself without it being confrontational because for me I'm not a confrontational person I don't like confrontation I'm not an argumentative person and I probably over the years have let people in general in my life not just people that I work but outside of those situations probably like walk over because I'm not someone that likes any form of confrontation however it's taking that time to um stand up for yourself and just be like to make sure that it doesn't happen to anyone anyone else and you know now that they even had those things in place you know from what you said we hope that if another teacher um of color or someone who not even just of color of you know teachers we come in all shapes and sizes disabilities um gender sexuality, so making sure that anything that um could be seen as a discrimination to a person gets challenged, and that I always say things like this now need to be built into school policies, so I've been having this discussion um with some people where these attitudes so racism um you know any slander against gender, sexuality, disabilities but um, it needs to be built into school policies so that
1: yeah
0: there so especially you know if you're ahead of year and you're not sure how to deal with these situations this is why the CPD training is so important but you can just look at your policy and that yeah. sanctions already there for you so exactly.
1: yeah, how to do and it. I think as well there's a piece there of us being proactive instead of reactive so in, in a lot of the instances I had to be reactive but when I was given that position, and I appreciate it, not everybody wants a promotion, not everyone wants to be head of year and what have you. But when I was given that platform of, of head of year, well, I was like, how can I make a difference in this community through my role? So I introduced like a tutorial program and every Thursday we'd call it a debate day. Mm. And we did loads of things because I had a trans student in my year as well. And, you know. Having uh, a trans student in my year group really shifted how I thought about things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I want to, I need to ensure it's my job to safeguard this child and make sure that she felt safe in school amongst her peers and that it was a conducive environment for her to learn. Mm -hmm. And of course, I can't go around and and challenge and be at her defense. And if I create a culture whereby that's wrong, then I don't need to over police because there's other students in the classroom who'll be like, hey, that's not do that. So I created a tutorial program and we talked about like oh like fat phobia and, and body confidence. Yes. And we spoke about like sexuality and we talked about the nuances of like gender and race and immigration. And Brexit, and it was never about indoctrinating. So I would never place my opinion. They probably mm. didn't know anything about my political views, but it was very much about, you know, would would provide both sides of the argument and open a safe space for them to discuss yeah. and to be educated. And it was really good because you, you could see the culture shift in sixth form. It was no longer a place where people like felt like they had to conform and they couldn't you know be who they wanted to be mm. and also like I said it gets to a point where you want it to be self-regulated like I don't need to be there to ensure that this is safe right because it's now been created and that tutorial program was used after I left this school that so sounds- meant that I knew it was a continuous thing so I think just thinking about as a teacher like how can you how can you leave your legacy and it starts within your classroom yes i, I taught english right and I'm sure you have a little bit more flexibility at jesus so you don't ultimately you're teaching transferable skills so when we would do like um uh you know like in the language paper you get unseen text. Mm-hmm. I would get unseen text so i'd get except from my favorite black authors and put it in there or like actually, i would like always throw my angelou in there because i just feel like she has got a lot to teach us right and in those moments, I wouldn't, you know, you, you allow the children, because they're intelligent enough to infer okay. and to understand. So you're teaching them about these things with explicitly saying, right, today we're going to learn about racism, or today we're going to look about, at abortion, or, or we're going to learn about ableism mm. or immigration. I don't have to do that. Just give them the text and they can infer. So I think, yeah, like starting in our classrooms and then thinking about... Because you're not a senior leader or a middle leader. How can you create those relationships and those allies with other middle leaders and senior leaders who are in a position to, um, to make changes in your school? And, you know, how can you use them as your mouthpiece? And I think that's one thing we have to remember in teaching as well, that there isn't enough emphasis on building that network outside the yeah, class. Yeah. It's all about teaching, but actually we're professionals and we have to build those professional relationships as well. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think.
0: Yeah, no, do you know what? That was because I was going to ask you what advice did you have for like other teachers and young people? Um, But I think you you summarised it really nicely because it's really important. Um, I like the point where you said if you're not, if you're just a teacher, um, obviously teacher, we can only implement as much change where it's essential that we start in our classroom because your classroom is that kind of foundation because I'd like to say even the kind of teacher that I am, Um, I'm about. I never push any of my like political views on students, but I always push the view of equality. And I always, one thing I always say to all my students is, you don't have to like everyone, but you must respect everyone, regardless of who they are. It's making sure that um, there's that mutual respect. That's that's always kind of that one um, phrase I give to students, and even just making sure that everyone feels comfortable, regardless of who they are, especially in a London school. You've got so many different types of people, but even like you said, at that school where you were in Cambridgeshire, obviously predominantly white school, but regardless of the fact that, you know, that one thing they have in common is that they are white, but their um, their identity is all different. So, you know, whether, like you said, a student was trans, but making sure that there's a community where they are um, ensuring that that student who's part of the transgender community feels safe and comfortable but also isn't um, magnified and you know subjected and used as you know oh you know this is our transgender student but also just made to feel as a normal part of the school community you know when we've been having these talks about diversity over the last few weeks it has focused a lot on um, black student and incorporating blackness into our curriculum but I also as a teacher want to make sure that you know students who are non-binary feel comfortable in my class but also making students feel aware of using the correct pronouns for um people and making sure that you know even like you said like fat phobia I really liked what you said how you were talking about that with students because that's never spoken about whereas you know there's diversity amongst our bodies and Making students, I don't, there's not really anything that's makes students aware of that. I feel like we focus on like eating balance. But I still feel like even from a young age, there's um, eating healthy and exercising. It's almost like your body should all look, look one way. Whereas someone who may be part of the plus size community, I don't like using that word. But just for the sake of what we're talking about. Yeah. but um who does eat healthy and is balanced but um in a bigger body and embracing that so I think I really liked what you said I'd like to kind of explore that yeah with students. I really like that
1: I think for me like we talk about diversity and inclusion and I often say when I'm talking about at work like we often lump the two together and a lot of the time as teachers as professionals we don't necessarily have a role to play in the diversity piece because we don't recruit students we don't bring them in the, the, the role we play is the inclusion thing right how how can we create an inclusive environment in our classrooms in spaces I think it's about normalizing difference like I remember I had a student who was um quite quite chubby and um he never used to wear his blazer and we were going into assembly and he had his stuff and I was like him hey, I took him to sign I said, you look nice and smart, but there's one thing missing. What do you think that is? He said, yeah. like, I don't have my blazer on this. I said, well, why is that? He said, like, it doesn't fit. I said, no problem. Do you want to give that over to me? Just tuck your shirt on in. Like, at that moment, I could have snigged it. Obviously, that would have been cruel. But it's like, in that moment, I knew that it did not fit him, right? So, I then obviously let the the um, head of behaviour who was running the assembly know that, you know, it, he, I've got his blazer with me. And that was and then I went to um, Safeguard and I was like, do we have any spare businesses? Like, do you see what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I can address that without being like, well, maybe you should consider losing weight so you can fit yeah. your like, And I'm not saying that teachers were normalising that, you know, when he got a new blazer, he came to me and ran to me and was like, miss, miss, look, I've got a new blazer. I said, well, you look smart, don't you? It was like, that was that. And it was fine. Yes, he's a big kid, but he's a kid. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, let's normalise the fact that we're all different, we look different and you know stop making it a a thing and I I think as teachers sometimes like you said there isn't that time to stop and reflect so you're just on the go 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 but we don't realize that teachers are are probably the most influential people in the entire life if I ask you who was your favorite teacher you know if I ask you who was like the worst teacher that made you feel crap about yourself you know exactly who that is and I think as teachers you know we um if it's important to the power to influence and wherever we can, those small steps towards making children feel inclusive, literally change their lives forever.
0: Honestly. And I feel like, you know, what you did there with that student, that whole, that it's, it's actually just taking the time to have that empathy, which I think in the teaching community isn't spread far enough. So yeah. it's just that simple act of you taking his blazer because i feel like some teachers i can just imagine in that situation because um my school setting same way you have to obviously you know full school uniform be smart for assembly you know why have you not got your blazer on you know the whole shouting and making it a whole bigger situation and it escalates into that student being upset the whole simple thing of oh where's you know where's your blazer i like what you said you know you complimented him you looked smart and even when we're learning behaviour management, it's not it doesn't push that empathy because even throughout my time, I've you know I've been oh you're too kind or you're too this and but actually mm-hmm. if you come into my classroom, the children are well behaved, but also everyone um, feels comfortable. You know, I think yeah. everyone feels comfortable. Even you know if I've had a student, that I'm like who their behaviour it might not be at my standards. I'll, I'll actually say to them you no. Know, how's your day going, is everything okay? And then they come away and they, they will say, actually, do you know what, miss, I'm having a really bad day, X, Y, and Z's happened. Mm-hmm. And then it helps you to understand. It's taking time to understand why something might be this way. So you took that time rather yeah. than you know shouting at the student. Obviously, there's times when we will shout. We can't say that we're perfect. Yeah, yeah, morning, absolutely. But just you taking that time and then he now felt included, you know, he's like, I've got a blazer that fits me. That's amazing. And like, that will stick with him um, down the line. I feel something just so simple like that will stick with him down the line. That's why, like you said, teachers, we are so, so influential into- Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And stars. I think when it comes to attacking racism in school, there's, there's a wider thing about, you know, decolonizing the curriculum, you know, everyone works in different schools like the school I worked we had to teach by the curriculum but there was room in that for me to kind of teach beyond and there was room in that for me to kind of explore text outside of you know the curriculum so I think it's about finding those moments those teachable moments even if it isn't like a whole lesson on something but those moments in the classroom where you know you see someone doing something that is unacceptable and using that as a learning moment without embarrassing that child, right? They can come back the next lesson and are like, we have a good lesson today, aren't we? And they come back in, right? You're not embarrassing that child, but using that as a, a moment to teach, yeah. like a teachable moment, you need to start making a conscious effort to have teachable moments in the classroom where we're addressing and tackling racism. Mm.
0: And I think even if it's um I I've you know, throughout my time I've been a form tutor to various forms and I've always even shown news round on like a Monday morning or something where we'll then sit and talk about what has gone on in the news, raising any questions. And I think it's also, you know, for example, if you're doing PSHE, having that room for um, you know, we all created our own rules when I did PSHE with my form class, I'm saying, right, so what do you think should be the acceptable rules? And it's a thing of, because obviously we're all people, we're going to have different opinions, but having that room for your opinion to be challenged and then possibly, you know, by the end of it, there's no, nothing wrong with, you know, changing your opinion by the end of it, but I completely agreed with everything that you said
1: really happy with today's conversation actually thank thank you
0: so much for having me Sarah. thank you for coming on to teacher talk so really appreciate and value everything that you've said and i will link sarah's article so once you've listened to the podcast please make sure you've taken time to read sarah's article and if you would like to share your stories please dm us as our DMs are always open. And thank you for listening to another episode of Teacher Talk.